Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to be making a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Welcome to the show, Adam. Thanks, Ben. Ben, it's the week of San Diego Comic-Con. Do you wish you were there? Uh, <laughs> you know, I have been to the areas surrounding Comic-Con a couple of times uh, for work. Mm-hmm. I've never actually been in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tend to not go to things that other people are going to go to. <laughs> I don't like I don't, large crowds. Is that what yeah. you're expressing? Yeah. I was sort of thinking about this in terms of being an only child recently. Yeah. Like, I really like going to a concert if I'm there as the camera guy or something, because I'm not like everybody else. I get to go, like, into a special room that has restricted access. Mm -hmm. That really appeals to me. Yeah. When you shoot a show, it almost feels like you're defended in a way. Like, when when you're on sticks with a camera... Like, you have a natural defense. You are not in with the throng. Yeah. That that somehow makes it better. Being a member of the throng is a very alien and upsetting feeling for me. Well, I wish... I wish I was there. I wish we were there specifically. And especially this year, like the 50th anniversary of the show. Like... Yeah. I, I think it'd be fun to be there. I wish we had merch done in time. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of cool Star Trek stuff happening yeah. that isn't just that, though. So maybe we'll get invited to, you know, appear somewhere else. Have you ever been to a Star Trek convention? Uh, other than the weird, very specific one that I talked about on a recent yeah. uh, episode, no. And that wasn't even really being at it. I just saw it from a confused distance. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're very confusing, Ben. I've been to one. Wow. I went to uh I went to a Star Trek convention that happened in Seattle while I was in high school. Whoa. And if you were to see me in high school, you'd think I was in junior high. <laughs> Pretty late bloomer. I have a very distinct memory of getting to high school and on my bus trip to like freshman orientation seeing the dudes that were talking about Star Trek and Babylon 5 and stuff and being like now this is a moment of uh this is a a decision making moment do i do i throw myself within the, w- in with this lot and you know school all of these nerds on on knowledge that they purport to have but don't really yeah or, or do i take myself into the closet and <laughs> try to pretend i'm something i'm not what did you decide? I chose the latter, and it's and it's uh, you know, <laughs> I've been I've been kind of a lonely dude ever since. Was that the road less traveled, and it has made all the difference? <laughs> uh, it was certainly the road to not really having that many friends until like basically senior year. <laughs> Let me tell you, Ben. I went to this convention with a girl. Whoa! Was it a date? Uh, well. No. Was it a date to you? Uh, I really liked this girl, and I was attracted to her very much. 
uh, but I think it was one of those situations where I felt like I was incredibly out of my league at that moment. And yeah. I was just surprised and amused that a girl wanted to do this with me at all. <laughs> and so, like, when you're playing with house money in a social way, like, right. I, I was just there to enjoy the company and the time. But mm-hmm. this also marked the moment where I actually met Marina Surtees at a signing. Whoa. I got a, I got an action figure signed from her. Dang. She seemed very disinterested in uh, having a conversation of any kind. <laughs> and I completely like get that. Oh my god. Like the yeah. line for signings at a Star Trek convention is a thousand people long. Yeah, but you'd think that she saw she would have seen you from across the room walking toward her. And the and the really and, cute girl I was with and and going like god I need to give this guy some help. Yeah. This guy's in real trouble. Yeah, she could have wingmanned the shit out of that situation. She really could. She could have If that if that cute girl had seen Marina Sirtis, Sirtis take a shine to you. It could have changed my life. Could have ta- could have yeah. Yeah. You could have bloomed you could have bloomed much earlier. <laughs> I'm still blooming, Ben. <laughs> Anyway, I've I've wanted to go back to a convention. I think I'm I think I'm emotionally ready to go back to a convention after yeah. that being my one and only time. Well, now now that uh But I've been thinking you, a lot about it uh since the San Diego thing came up. Yeah. And now that you have an unaccountably popular Star Trek podcast. Right. Maybe I'll be doing the signings. Maybe I'll be yeah. trying to hook up out of their league dudes with uh with really cool girls who happen to go to Star Trek conventions with them. You take a, a a life moment like that. <laughs> you can't really hold it against Marina. No, not our, at all. I our, I our do pal not. Marina. I don't. But but you friend did of the show, Marina Sirtis. Yeah. Some something that you personally would do differently is make sure everybody gets their dick wet after the convention. <laughs> show no. So, Ben, we're talking about uncomfortable date, quasi-date, or not-date-at-all scenarios uh, for a very specific reason, because the episode today is Season 3, Episode 5, Booby Trap, and uh, it's it's a theme that plays throughout, doesn't it? Yeah, it it opens with a bad quasi-date. Unclear if the—I think that the girl in this scene agreed to this date— before realizing that it was a date. She thought it was a a chill beach hang with no strings attached. Yeah, Jordy did not get express written consent uh, that it was a date. I think I've done this. I remember doing this all the time in high school and college. You you think it's one thing and it's not. She thinks it's one thing and it's not. Uh, It's it's One of the greatest thought technologies I ever encountered toward the end of college was... When you want to go on a date with a girl, say, hey, do you want to go on a date with me? Pretty great. Because, Pretty because, great uh, thought technology there. Yeah. It doesn't, like, there is no ambiguity as to what you are inviting her to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you're young enough to be going out on dates right now, viewer, yeah. I'm addressing the viewers right now. Yeah. Go ahead and call it what it is. Yeah. And it's also, like, I think... A girl will appreciate the funny directness of that question uh, as being not like what they normally get. It's normally a lot of like, eh, you like movies. Do you want to 
catch some movie, you know. Yeah. So there's a number of problems right off the bat with this scenario that Jordy finds himself in. <laughs> I mean, let's let's uh let's list them out. There is the there's the first bullet, which is Christy doesn't know it's a date. Right. They're on the holodeck in a sort of moonlight on the beach scenario. Like they've got yeah. they've got coconut drinks with umbrellas. Yeah. They've got cocoa no nos. They've got a blanket. We gotta see if there's a recipe for cocoa no nos. Let me like Google that while you talk. There might be a hit podcast that that uh that could do a show, an entire show on the Coco No No. <laughs> there's <laughs> there's a Coco No No sounds like the thing you say when you don't want butt stuff. There's a website called food foodreplicator.tumblr.com. Of course there is. <laughs> it's all Star Trek food. That's great. Uh, throw that up on uh let's let's throw that up on our Facebook group. All right. Or page or whatever it is. Will do. So Jordy has set this scene in the most cheesily romantic way possible. Like mm-hmm. He's trying too hard is what he's doing. He's got the violin player. But the, the violin player is so, like, tonally wrong, you know? Like, if you're on a tropical beach, like, maybe a guy with a steel drum or something. But oh, not yeah. a fucking gypsy with a fiddle. Yeah, I'd, if I'm on a beach in the moonlight, I'd want to find out about Christie's feelings about Ja right away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, but what are the chances in the 24th century they're still calling them gypsies? Which they actually refer to that character as <laughs> this episode. Oh, man. This scene was distracting in a couple of ways. One, because you're seeing a slow-speed car crash yeah. of Jordy's uh, hopes and dreams with with uh, Fair Christy. And the other is, I'm also in love with Christy. She's yeah, the love she's interest a- from Tommy Boy. <laughs> is she really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, so that goes way back. That explains why you have such strong feelings about her. Yeah. Do you think that this gypsy put a gypsy curse on Jordy for telling him to buzz off at the end of this scene? (laughs) And that's why Jordy is so bad with women for the rest of his life? Oh, it's a real thinner scenario? Yeah, yeah. He goes, creepy, (laughs) creepy, creepy. Men's rights activism (laughs) is your future. (laughs) Uh, uh, So somebody uh, somebody (laughs) tweeted at us. We've got the wrong impression of men's rights advocates. (laughs) I laughed and laughed at that. I think we have the right impression of men's rights advocates. (laughs) On the one hand, I really wanted to hear him out for the lols. (laughs) <laughs> but on the other hand, I do not have that much time. Yeah, or intestinal fortitude. No. Let's be honest. Um, so, so, Jordy crashes and burns mm-hmm. in a pretty epic manner. And then we cut to 10 forward where Wesley is playing a three-dimensional chess with Data and sees yeah. like the smoking ruin that was Jordy walk in. This, this is such a cool shot, too, because they're like, they're like playing on a table... Right in, like, dead center, front window. It's the Stratagema Memorial Table, isn't it? Totally. And there are, like, hundreds of asteroids circling outside the ship. It's a a very striking image, I thought. 
like a really nicely a nicely done effect and uh they see Jordy walk in and uh, and uh Wesley has to like explain to Data why it is bad that Jordy's date ended early <laughs> which is which is cute. Uh-oh. Did you notice that in this scene the way that Jordy broods is by staring directly at the girl next to him for long periods of time? Like the <laughs> wide shot that's supposed yeah. to be from the point of view of Data and Wes is Jordy like sitting perpendicularly to the bar facing the girl next to him and just staring at her. Uh-oh. Commander Data to the bridge immediately. Acknowledged. Data gets paged by Riker and has to run up to the bridge and uh, it's because they're picking up a, a distress signal and... You know how episodes be starting, Adam. There's always a distress signal, and uh, ships and be in trouble. It, yeah, <laughs> ships ships be getting in distress. <laughs> what they find uh, as they as they track this signal down is a battle cruiser uh, from a race called the Promelians. That is adrift in this asteroid field and it's like this is like one of the coolest one of the coolest ship models we get i think like it looks straight out of alien yeah and this is this is remastered candy right here yeah it is like a rotten looking ship floating in space and it just like it sells the shit out of that out of out of what it's supposed to be yeah so good and um and so the deal with this thing is that the whole asteroid field is like the remains of a planet that was destroyed in a in a like apocalyptic final battle between the Menthars and the Promelians and it like destroyed their two civilizations and it happened a thousand years ago and this battle cruiser is like astonishingly in perfect condition like it's like it's a uh, star drive is still there. It's it, everything is where it should be. And Picard is just like geeked the fuck out. Like he's like, this is a museum piece. I, I couldn't be more excited to have discovered this. Uh, I'm going to get my name in the paper. Like, this is great. Yeah. He's giddy as giddy as he's ever been. Yeah. And, uh, so they he, he talks Riker into letting him beam over and like poke around on the uh, on the ancient ship. And Riker's and, uh, arguments for him not going over there are totally valid. He's like, "The ship is a thousand years old, by the way. Uh, we have no idea if its tinfoil hull is is going to breach <laughs> at any moment. Like, yeah. you are being an idiot about this." And pa- right. and Picard's like, uh, "Cool it, man. I build ships in a bottle. Like, I need to do this." <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I like the little ship in a bottle joke that they wrote into the script here. Yeah. That uh, Picard and Chief O'Brien are the only two people on the whole ship that know about ships and bottles. Yeah, and Chief O'Brien cops to the idea of building ships and bottles, but anyone else in that scene thinks he just kissed up to the captain in that moment. Yeah. Worf Worf does the opposite. He goes, "I I didn't play with toys," which is a crazy thing to square with the fact that a couple episodes ago there was a scene where he was trying to put a model together and got like barged in on and broke the model. Knock on my door! Knock next time! Yes, sir. Did you see anything? No, sir. I didn't see you playing with your dolls again. Good! 
<laughs> like he, he, he got to playing with toys later in life. <laughs> he does it as stress relief. <laughs> it's something that Troy prescribed to him. His way of building a model is like finding the tiniest model requiring <laughs> like the tiniest hands and instruments to put together. And then anytime anyone walks into his room, he takes the model and smashes it against his own face. (laughs) Like, it just explodes (laughs) in front of him. (laughs) Oh, man. That guy is not good at modeling. But he is good at reviewing restaurants, Adam. Oh, my God. This is one of the greatest things that's ever happened. Yeah. This is is maybe... I, I don't know. This is definitely top five best things that's happened as a result of this show. So, this episode I'd... is brought to you today by Morph <laughs> Yelp Reviews. Yeah, some cockeyed genius uh, took a took a joke that we made on a on a episode a couple couple episodes ago, and registered a Twitter account of Wharf reviewing <laughs> restaurants. It's mostly like. The Midwest and and Western <laughs> state restaurants, uh, like there's a lot of like Durango, Colorado, and Omaha, Nebraska represented in the Wharf Yelp reviews. Places you could really see him. Yeah, and, in your uh, head cannon. Yeah, he's uh, very critical of the parking at most places, but uh, yeah, for good reason. The eggs. It's enraging to not have good parking. <laughs> Oh, it's a lot of fun. It's so great. Uh, if you're on Twitter, I highly recommend you follow that yeah. account. I I mean, uh, we talked it out, and we had that idea, and we just gave it away. Someone took it and ran with it. It's awesome. Yeah, so good. Um, so anyways, they beam over to this ship. It is a a real dusty mess, and Picard is totally enthralled, and the... They beam onto like the bridge, and he talks about how cool the bridge is, and like how well set up it is, considering how old it is. And they uh, they turn around the the command seat, and there's a crispy Klingon <laughs> in there. There's like it's sort of Goonies vibes in there, isn't it? Yeah, they like uh, they definitely got a like one of the corpse models that they bought for uh like the the royale or something like that and just right. like put some put some head ridge on there <laughs> they got they they had some rotten meatloaf left over from Worf's makeup makeup in uh season one and they just troweled it onto the yeah <laughs> to the head yeah some some <laughs> believable loaf <laughs> and uh they find a they find like a johnny mnemonic memory chip yeah and picard's super geeked out he's like data do you think we could actually play this thing <laughs> he channels some kirk yeah data's like yeah it's a thousand years old but like let's use the tricorder and 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 run some power through it we'll see what happens and yeah. on the screen they're faced with a really sad captain talking about the responsibility he's taking for the death of his crew yeah he's just a jowly old cr- green klingon and uh the loaf is looking fresh because he's alive mm-hmm and uh, and he's saying like this this tragedy is not their fault. They've performed admirably, and I have to take all of the responsibility for this as as their captain. And Worf even yeah. mentions like this is fucking great. Everyone died at their <laughs> station. Just how I want to go out. Yeah. The way that Worf like wants to die in a Denny's, reviewing some Burbank Sonic <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> yeah. Worf is walking around this place going, Jackable, Jackable. <laughs> yeah, he's loving it. So as they're going around, they're like, they're they're finding little artifacts. They're flicking on the power. They're doing all sorts of stuff to this ship, this thousand-year-old ship. It's exciting to be there. Yeah, but seeing this captain on the screen, like it feels like a period on the end of the sentence, you know? Yeah. Picard was really excited to be there, but he feels like they've kind of spooked the ghost, and they they're they had the experience that they came for. So he's he's like, let's get back to let's get back to the Enterprise and and fuck off. And they beam back, and Picard is just like glowing, walking around the ship. He walks back to the bridge, and Troy is like, you know, she can't help but absorb that and bounce it back at him and he's like why are you why are you looking at me funny troy and and she's uh she's like i i just don't get to see you this happy that often yeah picard's nipples are like just shooting through his uniform mm-hmm. this is becoming a speech you're the captain sir you're entitled mm. i'm entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows wesley sticks the key in the ignition fires up the engine, tries to start backing it out of the space, and the ship don't go nowhere. Yeah, and this is on the heels of, like, a couple of light flickers that have happened in the recent past. Like, you get the sense that everyone just sort of accepts the idea of weird electrical glitches on this ship. Right. Like, when Picard beams over, as soon as he's over there, the lights go out on the in the, in the transporter room, and O'Brien's like, huh... Well, I guess I'll have to uh, remodulate the the derps with the uh, <laughs> the, yeah, uh, told- the the coolant suppressors or whatever, and and the other guy in there's like, sure, yeah, you should probably do that. <laughs> like the most sophisticated thing ever built is supposed to just have pretty regular light flickering. Yeah, it's amazing. It should have raised bigger alarm bells when it happened. Right. So what's happening here is the ship is stuck. Like they like they can slam the pedal to the metal and the the ship stays in the same place. And this has like happened a few times now. They get where, stuck in the mud. Right. And uh, <laughs> yeah. the space yeah. mud. Those wheels keep spinning and the the mud keeps flying up. That's why you got to uh, keep a couple of bags of kitty litter in uh in Shuttle Bay 2. <laughs> you know? A yeah, couple, also, a couple bags of kitty litter and a two by four, that'll really help in situations right. like this. And also don't have the four wheel drive engaged all the time. Right. Like you need that to get out of a scrape. You don't fucking drive around with it like on all the time. Look, this is simple stuff. Riker grew up in Alaska. He should know better. Yeah. This is uh kind of embarrassing for Riker. Yeah, do you think Wes floods the engine here? I think that's part of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Wes is just in the back of the boat ripping away at the uh, <laughs> at the cord. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, and LaForge is in engineering like, I don't know what the fuck is happening. Like, we should be cruising yeah. out of here, and we got nothing. And not only that, but if we keep trying to peel out, we're actually going to do some damage. So let's chill for a second. The funny thing about that is that the last time we saw LaForge, he was about three drinks deep <laughs> in 10 forward, trying to get Guinan to tell him how to uh, how to talk to girls. Oh, and God. now he's like running around the fucking engineering section like a chicken with his head cut off. And uh, hard to avoid the conclusion that LaForge was drunk when they first tried to leave. <laughs> Oh, man. I have luckily not been put in this position, but as a freelancer, <laughs> I could see it. Like, 
you go to a baseball day game and you're like four yeah. beers in, I could see getting a phone call for a job. And right. This is you bad need to timing. edit something overnight. Yeah. And it's it's a nice payday if you can get it done. God, what a terrible position for Jordy to be in. <laughs> um, Meanwhile, yeah. Christie's out there putting his name in the streets. Like, <laughs> you would not believe the hacky shit Jordy tried to put on me in the holodeck. Yeah. What a dope. What a dope. Um, so they're stuck. The they're stuck and they're like losing power really quickly. And the crazy thing is that whatever is stopping them moving is also slowly increasing the amount of radiation the ship is being exposed to. And so that's a mystery and how to get out of it is also a mystery. And so uh, they're, they've got like a timer set, you know, like if they can't stabilize the ship's power and soon, they're going to get irradiated. And if they can't get out of there, uh, they're, they're going to be irradiated also. So Jordy is, is like put to work on this. Riker and Data beam back over to the cruiser to see if there's any like notebooks lying around that say, here's what's going on and how to get out of it. And, uh, and they, what they find is like a, uh, like one of those CD binders that you used to have in high school. <laughs> Some with, case uh, logic. Yeah, with all of all of the CDs that you own yeah. in it, and then you uh, you take it on a you take it on a family vacation to Hawaii, and you leave it in the rental car, and it's like your entire fucking music collection, and it's gone. You you try to process why your parents don't like Metallica's Black album the same way you do. <laughs> yeah. When yeah. the problem the whole time was you attempting to play the, bla- the Black Album in a car with your parents? Yeah. It doesn't make any I, sense. I mean, you're, go- you're, you're going to the beach in Hawaii. Like, why do you need that, that music with you? Yeah. And when you're there's, in- a guy, there's a guy with a steel drum right down the beach. He's going to do great. When you're in Hawaii, it's all reggae all the time. Yeah. It's big <laughs> ship sailing on the ocean. Don't bring all your gypsy violin CDs. <laughs> I don't know what kind of music Metallica is. I assume Gypsy Violin. You're not super far off. <laughs> he just kept talking in one long, incredibly unbroken sentence, moving from topic to topic so that no one had the chance to interrupt. It was really quite hypnotic. hypnotic, hypnotic. So Jordy's got the Enterprise up on the lift, and he's poking around. And, he, <laughs> yeah. and he's like, uh, he's lo- he's like, look... Uh, this is clearly a warp drive problem. This is going to cost like 1200 bucks, and it's probably going to take a few days. Uh, you're yeah. going to have to leave it here and get a rental uh, while yeah. I go into the holodeck and try to figure out how to fix this problem. Yeah, and so so what he does, he, he gins this idea up in the Jim Shimoda memorial corner, which is very fitting. <laughs> it's for, where all good ideas come from. <laughs> yeah. So he gets he gets like the audio tape of he he goes on like audible.com and gets and gets the Not audio book for the the technical manual for for the Enterprise's warp engine which you wouldn't think that they would make an audio book of that but they did. He pulls the technical manual out that you and I had in high school like the exact <laughs> technical manual. Yeah. Yeah, available on Amazon and where all fine books are sold. Yeah. And uh the woman reading this has a sexy voice, like undeniably 
a mega sexy voice. and The sort of voice you want to give your credit card number to. Yeah. And so he trans he transfers this over to Holodeck 3, where a simulation has been erected of the shipyard at Utopia Planitia where the Enterprise was built. And this is like the this is the warp reactor lab where Galaxy Class Warp Warp Design was brought into the world. And the the computer uh through a very dubious series of <laughs> logical leaps, decides that what 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 Jordy has asked for is a simulation of the architect of the Enterprise's warp engine, and she happens to be the mega babe whose voice we heard on Audible.com. Did do that, didn't I? Now Jordy wasn't specific about this, but the version of Leah Brahms, the engineer that the computer provides has hair that looks like a calzone. (laughs) (laughs) And wait till you try her pasta fun jewel. (laughs) Oh, man. Her hair is very bready. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to pull it apart and dip it in marinara. You know, I... It's it's easy to blame Jordy for this. (laughs) Like, it's a creepy thing if it was what he went into the holodeck looking for. Yeah. Yeah. But the computer totally did this. Yeah. It's it's like it, the like computer's got, making fun of him now. Like Riker didn't get in this kind of trouble for Minuet. Yeah. That's true. But yeah, the computer like does what the computer occasionally does, which is make a perfectly intelligent uh simulation of a human that totally passes any Turing test you, you could throw at it and this is Leah Brahms, the brilliant scientist who wrote the book on warp field theory. And they, like, go to town on this problem. And it's like a love affair. Like, they have... It's torrid. They they work passionately together. When they fight, it's like a sexy fight that you feel like could would could break out in makeouts at any moment. Yeah. The sort of fight that ends with like one of them sweeping their arm across a desk and and flinging all the shit everywhere. Yeah, yeah, and 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 laying down on it. Yeah, yeah. It's a, uh, it's it's like like they have f- full blown chemistry. Ben, this episode reaches a total inflection point here. That is fifty one percent great and forty nine percent. Totally soundtracked by like a Bet Midler music score. <laughs> I thought the score for this episode totally kneecapped everything cool about what happens on the holodeck with Leah Brahms and Jordy. Dr. Brahms? Jordy. It's me, Leah. Don't start calling me Dr. Brahms or I'll call you Commander LaForge. It was distractingly treacly and and middlery. It was slathered in Midler. I totally agree with you about these scenes. Yeah. And I think that that is in such stark contrast to the music in the entire rest of the episode. I know. Which is like as good as Star Trek music gets. That's, that's what made it all the more infuriating is like, is, is you have them side by side like this. It's crazy. Yeah. My, my love is a
I have a standing debate with a friend of mine, uh, Dan Cooper, uh, technology writer at Engadget.com, about whether Utopia Planitia is supposed to be in orbit of Mars or on the surface of Mars. And this episode doesn't really clear that up, but Utopia Planitia is the name of a geographical feature on the surface of Mars in real life. Do you have a take on that? Like whether this shipyard is meant to be a Mars surface place or a an orbit place? I I'm almost positive like the depiction in this episode is in space. I just I never considered that it would be anywhere else but space. Well, so they're in a lab and they're looking out at the ship which is inside a huge hangar. But we don't know what's outside that hangar. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't know. Is it weird that I just think it's appropriate for ships to be built in space? I never really buy the idea of these giant ships being built on the surface of a planet and then yeah. either being I mean, hauled up on some sort of weird space elevator or, or them like under their own power leaving the atmosphere. Like, right. I don't know. I have no reason. I have no way to base that on anything that we've seen in the show so far. And it's just well, a personal feeling, but like... But, but you're a guy that's been in like the places where they build jumbo jets. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, like I've, I've read a little bit about that. I know that like one of the weird things that they do when they're they're creating a a plane design is they have to like see if they can set it down on its wings and the wings will hold the body mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. And And it's like, that seems crazy. That seems like it's going to break the plane, but that's actually like what's happening when the plane is in flight is the wings are holding the whole thing up. And, and I feel like, uh, we know, like the, the Voyager starship in, uh, a, a couple series from, from now is capable of landing on a planet's surface. So you would want to build a, a ship that is, uh, at least gravity resistant, you know? Yeah, I mean, until we get a real answer while watching the show, this is all speculation, but God, I just, I can't believe that that the saucer can be held up engineering-wise onto the star drive section if it isn't in space. Like, because we're looking out the window, we're seeing an assembled starship, like a starship in final assembly is is in like factory parlance, like... Mm -hmm. I don't know how that can happen in a place with any sort of gravity because it would just pull itself apart. Especially if they can separate, like the uh, the tolerances on those on those couplings has got to be insanely strong. Right, you got at least a quarter round <laughs> holding the saucer to the star drive. I gotta want to go a ten penny sinker into the star drive, holding it onto the saucer section. Yeah. You can find these at your local hardware store or order them online. That was a fun diversion. Yeah. (laughs) Anyways, yeah, we'll cut all that out. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) As they get closer, like, like they they achieve an early success, which is they figure out how to stabilize power on the ship. And it's not like a permanent solution, but... They're going to, like, rewire something about the warp drive, and it's going to give them some breathing room on figuring out how to get out of there. And uh, and that's and that's a good deal, because 
you know, like their deaths are not quite so imminent. And Picard takes this this breathing room as a fun time to try shooting at asteroids. Um, right. And so what they've what they've learned, like Data has gotten has has sorted through the CDs and thrown out all the ones that had really bad s- scratches on them. All the third eye blind CDs. Yeah, that were real skippy. Uh, all the live CDs. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Everyone had that throwing copper disc, right? Yeah. Inescapable. And he finds a bit of the captain's log from this battle cruiser where he says what the thing is that's keeping them keeping them stuck. And it's like a kind of generator that is hidden in like thousands and thousands of these asteroids. Uh, and the, the the generator is sucking energy out of the Enterprise and then shooting radiation back at it. And so it's like like the whole asteroid field is essentially a trap. It's both sucking and blowing. <laughs> is that what you're saying, Ben? Uh, I'm saying it, they've gone from suck to blow. <laughs> That's it exactly. Yeah. So what do they need to do? They need to figure out a way to expel enough energy to move the ship, but not like throw these things into into overdrive. They, they've got to move the ship without expending any energy that can be sucked out and then used against them in a way that, like, increases the radiation that's bombarding them. Like, like there's a couple of plates spinning right now. Yeah. There's the increasing radiation that reduces the amount of time they have to leave. There are their proposed solutions to the problem, all of which use energy that can then be used against them. It's a real tangled knot. Yeah. And so, like, they're getting pretty close, and and Picard starts having Worf take pot shots at asteroids. Bye. Nothing. Radiation levels increasing. 8%? 10%. This really fucks their shit up, because the... <laughs> The generators, like, kick into overdrive, start really, like, bathing them in radiation, and the ship goes into, like, automatic shutdown mode, where it's, like, shields and basic life support only, everything else gets turned off, and that includes the holodeck program, and Jordy's like, wait, 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 and it gets turned off, and he, like, talks the captain into making a special accommodation, for getting the the holodeck turned back on and it's like it's like one of those things where like you ask your boss to like go to bat for you and like you better be right when your boss has to like stick his neck out on your behalf sure but they have like the solutioneering mclaughlin group in the conference room issue one and picard very rightly is like where are you on this problem and jordy gives him incomplete information yeah he's like yeah i'm in the holodeck by myself working this I, I, out i've got a i've got a model that is helping me see this problem from the inside out i need i need your permission to get that shit reinstated yeah i think at that moment jordy knows what he's doing is creepy he he can't not yeah. know that because by because by not telling him the whole story that's the only way that that works yeah so <laughs> He gets it reinstated. He's down there working, and Picard comes to check in on 
like literally the only person at this point on the ship who's working on solving the problem is Jordy. They have a thousand people on this ship, and Jordy is by himself in a holodeck trying to solve the problem. <laughs> I thought this was insane. Meanwhile, like, Data is on the bridge, like, basically playing mix CDs of Captain's Logs, mm-hmm. while Jordy's in the holodeck yeah. getting blue balls with a fake engineer trying to solve the problem. Like, it's it's incredibly the opposite of what should be happening. Yeah. Picard comes down there and is, like, basically speechless <laughs> when he sees what Jordy is doing. And he, like confirms with Jordy that he is close to having a solution, which to you know, in Jordy's defense he genuinely is. Uh but Captain Picard leaves and we cut to Picard sitting alone in his ready room looking out the window, thousand yard stare, just like, boy, I thought I was the creepiest person on this <laughs> ship and I am not. He has seen some serious shit in that moment. <laughs> He is so disturbed. He is shaken to his core. <laughs> That's his own version of Riker's leaning wall. Just the flip around of the chair staring, like, thousand-yard stare out the window. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, like, all the lights are out now because, like, the ship is on, like, super low reserves of power. And Riker walks in and, like, they, it's, a, it's like a scene to just kind of, like, amplify the stakes one last time. Yeah. What Jordy comes up, has come up with is we're going to turn control of navigation over to the computer, and the computer is going to be able to make adjustments to uh, its course so fast that the satellites that are sucking its energy won't be able to react in time to to counteract its movements. They're betting on the idea that their modern computer is faster than a thousand-year-old computer. <laughs> it's like Which, uh, yeah it, it's a pretty fair bet i think and they run some simulations of this and this is actually like kind of a cool like this is like something you can actually learn something about statistics from where they run a bunch of simulations and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't like yeah in 30 or 40 percent of the of the simulations of this very complex system uh the enterprise gets out and it's cool and the rest of the time it gets zapped to hell by the radiation yeah they run the sim the first time and stuffed crust leah brahms is like oh this is great we, <laughs> we solved it and jordy's like now nah, let's run it again and so mm-hmm. what we're seeing is like basically a coin flip of a chance right because the second time they lose Darmok, Angelad, and one of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. 
Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. They're like a little too creeped out to let Steph Crest run the show. (laughs) Uh, but what they work out is just as scary, which is they shut everything off. They they gun it like they they get some momentum going, and then and then basically use only a couple of thrusters to steer the ship past all of the asteroids and out of the debris field. Who and is at the helm for this, Ben? That would be Nanava. De my main man, Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Yeah, so Jordy hatches the plan. Picard's like, good enough for me. Taps yeah. Wes on the shoulder, gets him out of the con, takes a seat, and decides to fly the ship himself, which I think is pretty mm-hmm. badass. Pretty fucking sick, yeah. And this is like some of the closest uh, close-ups we ever get of what the buttons on the steering panel <laughs> look like. And there's like a there's like a D pad, like a a plus shaped 
part where it's like that part goes forward, that part goes backward. But it's a lot of like, it's a lot of uh, button tapping and recalculating. It's unclear if it's based mostly on a Xbox 360 controller or a PlayStation controller yeah. at this point. Like it, it might be PlayStation 3. It it could be partly like Dreamcast. Right. Like some there's some throwback parts to it. Yeah. Um but you don't need to understand it to really dig the gravity of the captain taking the wheel. Hands on the gra- wheel, foot on the gas. Arm out the window. Yeah, and gravity is the operative word because he uh, he uses the gravity of a large asteroid to like pull them in and then slingshot them out of the of the field and and it's like it's fun it's really played well for suspense and Data's kind of talking talking them through it and saying like when it's fucked up and when it's when the day is saved and then they are out. It is true hero status for JLP. Yeah. Like, yeah. this is the third season, not even halfway through the third season. Has there been another time where the captain of the ship saved everyone on the ship? I'm, I'm sure it's happened a couple of times, but never, yeah. never as pronounced as this moment. Like, he takes the ship on his back and he just does the thing. Pretty great. Yeah. This is a fucking sick scene and, and makes you really love Picard. Like, in the pilot episode, everyone looks at Riker like he's a goddamn hero by connecting the ship together while they're underway <laughs> yeah. by verbally giving commands. Picard saves the ship from a bunch of asteroids that have landmines on them. Everyone right. just goes about their business. Like, yeah, this is Picard being Picard. Yeah. Like, he's, he's able to personally take responsibility for that, which is... He deserves is so dope. much more credit than he gets, is what I'm saying. They're in the clear. Picard has demonstrated himself to be the swingingest dick on the Enterprise. Yeah. Taking, taking the belt back away from Riker. Yeah. And Jordy goes down to the holodeck to have his, like, uh, Dixon Hill with the, <laughs> with the police detective moment. And uh, this turns into a makeout scene between him and Leah Proms. When you kiss Jordy, I feel like you're kissing a man with braces on his entire face. <laughs> you know, there's just yeah. no escaping the braces. Yeah, you don't want to get yeah. that haircut. What do you think Jordy does when he has? Not that that dude fucks, but when that dude fucks, does he? Does he take I, off I take, the retainer? I take my glasses off when I am doing. Um, doing a, when you're performing. an intimate thing because they get in the way. I'm so glad you know? I know that. <laughs> but that dude is blind when he takes his glasses off. Yeah. Wow. I don't know. It's like it's like he can never do it with the lights on. Well, what we know about him as a character would seem to indicate to me that he keeps it on. He keeps his visor on and he keeps his socks on. That's what I'm imagining. (laughs) (laughs) Like, he doesn't go all the way naked. That's what I think. I'm hoping we get an episode where we find out. Yeah, I'm sure sure there's an episode where they show it going in. (laughs) God, this was... This is the moment where everything went downhill for Jordy as a character. 
Like, yeah, it's a it's an inflection point for sure. I think we both read that character bio that went around. I feel like this went around a couple of weeks ago where there was a there was a series note, sort of a a character capsule about what they were going to do with Jordy in season three, and the way they wrote it made it seem like this is the season of Jordy. Like he's going to get out there, he's going to be like he's going to Riker it up a little bit. He's going he's gonna to have some romantic interests, and he's going to be a man about town. And the way that he is depicted instead is, like, an embarrassment. <laughs> it sucks, because... I don't know, like, who else on this show is the embodiment of, of the engineer tech type? It's Jordy, you know? Yeah. And Jordy is cool in every other way. Yeah. He's creepy as hell with girls. Guinan fucking wants to like report him as as a sexual predator after their weird conversation in 10 forward yeah she's looking for the phone with the blue light on top of it yeah like the second he starts talking to her yeah Guinan's reaching for the dustbuster behind the bar it's really troubling <laughs> yeah, you, you know she has that fucking super nubby crazy ass alien rifle back there yeah yeah ready to go yeah i mean there's a difference between innocently fucking up and being, like, dangerously a fuck-up. Yeah. And he's not dangerous, but he sure isn't innocent, I don't think. He's a weirdo. Yeah, maybe we should reach out to that uh, men's rights activist guy for some answers. <laughs> I think that would really help us understand the situation. Yeah. As a Geordie type, what do you think about this situation? <laughs> so as a total Geordie, I imagine you know exactly what he's going through. <laughs> this isn't this isn't so much his fault as the woman's fault. <laughs> hey Ben, did you like this episode? I did like this episode. You know, it's directed by a woman, and that uh, really surprised me when I was watching the episode this Interesting. time. I had never considered, like, who was steering the ship. Uh... It makes me think a little bit differently about the relationship that's depicted between Jordy and Leah Brahms. Um, and, you know, like, I think that it's possible to watch this and not be totally unsympathetic to Jordy, but mm-hmm. uh, it is also not possible to watch it and feel like he's kind of damaged in a, in a pretty substantial way. And... If we're, like, taking the character seriously as written, I think that that's, like, kind of a tragic flaw that he has. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so, like, I think that watching it this time, I kind of felt for him in a way where, like, before maybe I would have just been making fun of him. Yeah. The way we have been the entire episode here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I get that. I, that's interesting that it was directed by a woman. I wonder, it's unclear to me, like, how much creative latitude the director has on a show like this, but... Yeah, and I don't, I don't think much, but... But visually, but still, like, it was, it was lit spectacularly. Like, it, it, when the power goes out on the ship, it got really moody. Yeah. The, uh, the lighting effects on the, uh, on the, on the ship were spot mm-hmm. on. Like, I love it when they mess with light on this show. Like, for yeah. the most part, it's just, like, it's really lit hot and flat. And whenever they right. can get shadows on the show, I just really dig it. It looks less like TV and more like film when they do it. 
the season three lighting is is great so far. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's been a couple of dippy episodes that haven't been that well lit, but like, so far, like a a mile ahead of the other two seasons that we've watched. Most deaf. I am the cutest of all. You will assist us. I am the cutest of all. You are all. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you see a drunk Shimoda in this episode? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! I did. Um, my drunk Shimoda in this episode is Riker. For a thing he did, he did when they first tried to pull out of the parking space. And... Uh, <laughs> And they they couldn't. <laughs> I think like Worf goes like, "Oh fuck!" There's a bunch of radiation all of a sudden, and Riker just tries to slip into the captain. Oh, by the way, while you were gone, there was lots of problems with the power. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like he definitely like didn't bring that up when Captain Picard came back. Waited the entire time for Captain Picard to like walk around the ship in in the top the tip top of spirits and then the second problems start happening he's like by the way <laughs> it's like it's like Riker's the babysitter and the parents come home and like the parents give him the $20 bill he's walking off of the front door and he's like oh by the way uh, the bathroom is just full of vomit bye <laughs> yeah oh uh, yeah um my Shimoda I think speaks towards something we teased a little bit earlier, which was like, why did Picard only put one dude on this problem? <laughs> like, there's a point where Jordy is in the holodeck solutioneering the situation. Yeah. And it's getting down to crunch time. Like, the computer's calling out. Uh, right, uh, they're like 20 minutes t- from death. <laughs> yeah, and and Jordy radios up to to Picard and the bridge, and he's like, look, I just need more time. And Picard is like, okay, I can give you a few more minutes or whatever, but (laughs) what other plan does Picard have? What's his plan B? He's put all his eggs in the Geordie basket. There's no other engineers working the problem that we know about. Yeah, there's a a team of engineers on this ship. Yeah, there's a whole... Geordie is a department head. He He probably has dozens of people working under him, and he doesn't involve any of them in his problem solving project that is suicidal to me and so, <laughs> so and so for crazy. and so for picard to be like yeah you can have a few more minutes i was screaming at the tv like yeah because who else is doing anything right now like wh- <laughs> like you're not doing anything else with that time yeah you cut to you cut to the engineering section there's a lot of folding chairs <laughs> laid out everybody's sipping on a cocoa no no yeah everyone's everyone's sitting on a folding chair like they're sitting on a toilet like elbows on knees just sort of like <laughs> waiting for the call yeah slowly heating up from the radiation yeah do you think data survives that if like let's just say they're in the booby trap and everyone dies like data lives right I don't know. I don't know what his radiation imperviousness is. I guess. I guess he, if it's a, if it's that one type that they had on, on the planet with the, uh, lady with the cute bangs. Yeah. On Goshevin planet. Yeah, planet Goshevin. <laughs> um, planet Goshevin. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. That part's unclear. I guess. But I like to think about, the possibilities of that head cannon mm-hmm. style. Yeah. What do we have coming up 
next time. The next episode is Season 3, Episode 7, The Enemy. After Jordy is stranded on a storm-ravaged planet, the crew attempts to rescue him and are hindered by an aggressive Romulan warship. Would Do you that, remember this episode, Adam? Would that be the enemy that they're talking about in the title? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would assume so. Maybe it's about Jordy's broken heart as the enemy. Mm, mm. Uh, do, do you remember this one? Jordy's only thing on that storm-ravaged planet is like building, fashioning some sort of sex doll. <laughs> <laughs> I don't uh, remember this episode at all. At all. It's, it's, I think it's a dope episode, all right. if memory serves. I'm down. Um, Guess we have to see it anyway. Yeah. A lot of uh, a lot of people after we talked about a top 10 uh wanted to know what our top 10 was. I feel like that's a maybe uh something we should start to think about is like how we how we build a top 10 into into this show. Yeah, I think now's a good time to start. I think we have mm-hmm. a good sample size here to Now that we've gotten most of the real flagrant turkeys out of the way. Yeah. And there's starting to be some good episodes. I think it's the right time for a little mm-hmm. uh Coco Moco and a top 10 list. Yeah. What was that drink called? Coco No No. Coco No No. Oh no. Oh no no. <laughs> this show is made possible by the generous contributions from our listeners. If you're interested in supporting the show, you should go to maximumfund.org slash donate. Yeah. Um, we've uh, just been so delighted to be on the maximum fun network and there's so many great shows on there that you should give listens to you've got adam rubens everything the adventure zone jordan jesse go bullseye uh, minority corner just started uh that's a, a real terrific show there's a wrestling podcast coming out that i'm really pumped about <laughs> are you really yeah totally i don't know i don't know anything about wrestling but uh that uh that sounds pretty fun yeah yeah Maybe I'll start to learn. I'm all in. Uh, uh, we have various Facebook pages. We're on Twitter all the time, compulsively. You can find mm-hmm. me there as at Cuff for Time. Ben's there as at Benjamin R A H R. Use the hashtag Greatest Gen on Twitter. Uh, we will find your tweet, and probably we will fave it. Yeah. Unless it's like a joke that we don't sure. We're not sure if it's an insult or a compliment. We're real fave whores. Yeah, and then maybe we won't fave that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, and uh, we're on Reddit. There's a Maximum Fun Reddit. There's a Greatest Gen Reddit. Both active, fun places to talk about the show. And we should thank Dark Materia for our music. Uh, you can email us at drunkshimoda at gmail.com. You can. You should. With that, we will be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and another Blind Geordi in a Nightmare Planet episode of this show. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned.
listener supported.